Welcome to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we bring in entrepreneurs who have created online businesses and improved their lifestyles. Here's your host, Rohit Malhotra. Hi, everyone. This is Rohit from Lifestyle Mastering. Today, I'm excited to have Ezra Goldman, who's the founder of Upshift, a fractional car leasing service for low mileage drivers. Uh, and he has raised $1.25 million from BMW Urban Us. Uh, Ezra has done his master's in urban planning from MID. Welcome to the show, Ezra. Thanks for having me. Awesome. So, you know, how did you get to uh, get to building Upshift and you've got a long career in, in, in this particular sector? What got you excited about it? Yeah, I mean, I, so I grew up on a, a very large farm in rural America on the East Coast and outside of New York. And um, just, you know, I always grew up playing with, uh, with nature and that was really important to me. And I've been living in cities now for the last 20 years. Uh, and I find it's really important to get out into nature periodically to just clear my head, especially now. And uh, it's just very difficult to do in America uh, without a car because transit doesn't go to nature. Uh, and I didn't want to own a car because uh, owning, I, I would ride transit or do something else to get to work. So I don't need it for my daily commute. And so it mostly just sit there every day and uh, parking in American cities, especially San Francisco is a real headache. You either park it on the street and you know, it might get uh, damaged or vandalized or more likely it would get a parking ticket, which uh, in San Francisco can be like $90 uh, you know, for various things. So that's a real headache. And then if you have a garage, it's like $300 a month in San Francisco. So that's also doesn't make a lot of sense. Plus you got to pay for the car and the insurance and maintenance and just a whole lot of headache for, you know, a, a very few kinds of use cases like grocery shopping, business meetings and getting into nature. So the idea really came to me. Uh, initially, I thought of it as a uh, kind of a true car sharing or car co-op model. Like could you and I co-own a car together? Yeah. Or could we uh, share a few cars with a few other people and, and in so doing, make the service extremely affordable? And it is true that it would be very cheap, but it would also uh, cause a lot of friction. There'd be a whole lot of headaches involved in that. And so essentially what the other direction said, okay, instead of trying to make it as you know, cheap as humanly possible, let's try to make it as convenient as possible. Because what we've seen in the past with transportation is that people will generally gravitate towards whatever you make easiest to solve their transportation need. Right. And so we just looked at, you know, all the existing ways you could get access to a car, whether that was car rental or car sharing or buying or leasing a car and just said, what are all the things that suck about these experiences? And there's a lot. <laughs> it's basically all the way through the entire process, no matter which aspect of the process you're talking about. Right. And we thought, how do we just eliminate all of this friction? And then how do we give you what you want, which is just the freedom of mobility to go where you want and when you want. Uh, and, and how do we make that experience look and feel as much like ownership, but just without all the headaches. So that's, that's kind of where, that's the process we went through. Interesting. And you, you started in 2016 and you've been able to get around 1500 plus signups. So, so I was wondering, you know, what was the, your, uh, how did you get those, uh, you know, uh, you know, your initial hundred set of users on board, uh, you know, uh, was it word of, uh, um, mouth marketing or, you know, what, or, or were you spending a lot of money on Facebook and Google ads? Uh, we did uh, very, very beginning in the early days, like before we even launched, we actually spent a little bit of money on Facebook ads, uh, mainly to kind of test the market and see who might be interested in a service like this. Uh, we also were trying to figure out like which car we should put on the platform. 
So we put on like a, you know, I don't know, maybe 20 or 30 different makes and models that we had seen that were popular on other car share platforms. And then we just saw like, which ones did people click on? (laughs) Which ones did they seem most interested in? And kind of got it down to like a Prius and a BMW 3 Series seemed to be the two most popular models. And then then I went and interviewed a whole bunch of people, uh, you know, waiting for tech shuttles and stuff and said, you know, what, what would you think about a service that would uh, deliver a car to you since that was sort of the initial version of the concept was just, you know, hit a button, get a car and make it super convenient, you know, no paperwork, uh, just make it super easy to get a car. And uh, essentially what we found was uh, people, most, I would say 80% of the people didn't really care that much about the car as long as it was a you know, reasonably decent car. Right. Uh, they just wanted a really convenient, easy experience. And then there was like another 20% who were like, oh, I really want, you know, a fancy German car, basically. Uh, three series being probably the most popular. Um, but then you would ask them how much they're willing to pay. And they're like, oh, not more than $100. Like, well, it probably cost you about $200 a day to get that experience. So it's a smaller market who isn't willing to pay for the service. So, okay, we're going to go with the Prius. Um, so that was kind of how we got there. And then through that process, we, we had sort of a list of names that I think uh, kind of helped us get going. And then there were sort of, you know, some friends of the company and stuff like that. Uh, and then we ran some Facebook ads once we launched. And beyond that, like, I would say it's been 90% word of mouth uh, since we launched, really. Got it. And, and I was uh, wanted to understand what's, a, what's your business model or how much do you charge per customer? And, uh, and you know, like like Uber has a lot of different models, but, uh, yeah. but does Upshift also has a lot of models which, which you try to upsell to um, your customers? Yeah, so we when we started, it was a pay-per-use model uh, back in 2016. So it was uh, started out at $69 a day flat rate. Then we increased oh. it to 89 to 109 a day. That included... Uh, insurance, delivery to your door, came clean with a full tank of gas. Uh, you know, we would gas it and clean it when it came back, uh, pick it up anywhere in our service zone in San Francisco. So uh, that included everything, taxes, uh, everything except for gas and tolls, basically. There's some bridge tolls around here. Um, and uh, uh, then we repositioned uh, in early 2018 to a subscription business model, and we've tested out a variety of different packages and plans there. But the, I would say the stickiest had been uh, our four day a month plan is probably our most popular. So four days a month uh, in, uh, up until a few weeks ago was $259 uh, a month with zero down. And then you get four days a month of drive time. Uh, you could use them. If you didn't use them all, they would roll over indefinitely. Uh, and if you used more than that in a given month, we would just charge you a flat day rate. Um, and then we also have, we've tried two-day plans, six-day plans, eight-day plans, 12, 16. We've tried a variety of different uh, combinations. Right now, our current pricing is four days, eight days, and then a Monday through Friday commuter plan, oh, okay. uh, where you get the car all week, essentially, to drive to work. Um, and, uh, you know, we found when we repositioned, and, and I would say a few weeks ago, we re- relaunched our pricing so that we dropped our monthly rates. Uh, and added a, a initiation fee or an activation fee. So it's uh, $750 to start, and then plans start at 209 a month. Uh, that includes taxes, delivery, uh, full coverage insurance, uh, basically everything except for the gas and the tolls. Um, so that's, that's where we just, uh, and the reason for that is really to make it look and feel as much like leasing as possible. Uh, we really want to differentiate our service from car share or rental car, which is what we found 
people typically uh, saw us as when we were just a pay per use. So we would get people who might use our service, you know, a few times a year, and we would think that was a great customer. You know, they came four times a year. Wow, what a, what a you know loyal customer, right? And now we have people who will use it, you know, two three days a week, you know, just ongoing for years at a time. You know, it's just a very wow. different relationship that we have with those uh, members uh, than you know you might have with some tourist from Ohio who wants to you know, get out of paying for damages or something. So. Got it. And, and, and uh, you know, what I've seen with the, with the Uber model uh, is it's been replicated all over the world. We got Ola here in India, you got Gojek and Bolt in, in Europe. Um, do you think it's because of millennials who are not looking to, uh, you know, invest into, into, into cars and they're looking at, you know, a, a, a car share model like that of Uber and Ola? Uh, or, or do you think there will be challenges going forward to, to see a growth in, in, you know, a car lease uh, sort of company. You mean kind of what's the, what's our barriers to entry or barriers to someone else coming along and doing the same thing? Correct. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I would say honestly, uh, some of it is, uh, it's just a hard business to get off the ground. You know, you have like right. cars and operations you have to manage and deliveries are really hard. Uh, there's basically, there's a whole bunch of different things that we're com combining. And I think you kind of have to get them all just right, right? You have to, uh, your operations have to be really efficient. Uh, and that connects to like, you know, where you decide to launch your service zone, which markets you decide to go in, which, how big your service zone is, how you actually get from car to car when you drop the car off. And that's connected to which cars you choose to put on the platform, how many different types of cars you put on the platform, how you set your pricing, uh, you know, will also shift behavior and the kinds of users you attract, um, you, you know, how you structure your financing, how you structure your, your business in terms of how you actually uh, raise the capital to, 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 you know, run your business. Uh, there's just so many different aspects of it. You know, there's a hardware integration that uh, you have to deal with. I mean, I, I could probably talk for two hours about like how we've actually structured the business or in terms of like how it's, physically structured and incorporated to attract the right kinds of investors is right. like a whole like hour long conversation. And then there's like, which cars you choose, uh, how many cars you choose, how big your service zone is, which cities you go into, which people you attract. Like there's so many different aspects. And I think um, part of what we've learned over the last, you know, however many years I've been working on this project is just like how to actually fit all those puzzle pieces together Right. And I think that somebody could probably come along and get like a bunch of money from SoftBank and like try to launch something. Right. But the chances are that without that background knowledge, they'd probably burn most of it just trying to like learn stupid things that we could have told them not to do in the first place, but <laughs> you would just go do anyway. Cause it, there's a lot of, there's a lot of fool's gold in the transportation space. There's awesome. a lot of things that seem like a great idea because uh, you think, Oh, well some, some, somebody would love to pay for this service. Well, that right. may be true, but you may not be able to execute that. <laughs> <laughs> service right. proposition in any kind of affordable way. And you might burn through a couple of million dollars realizing that. And if you already know that going into it, uh, you can save yourself a ton of money. I mean, I can't tell you how many companies have tried to do similar things to what we've done in the past few years and have spent millions of dollars and then failed. And we're still here, like in a pandemic, like still operating. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So I think, and, and that includes a couple of OEMs. Right. Uh, Audi, Ford. So Ford tried to do a fractional car leasing service in Austin, Texas, 
No. I don't know how much money they spent on it. They could not sign up a single person. They, they could not get one person to pay them a dollar for their service. And right. Audi tried to do a fractional car leasing service in uh, Stockholm and they, they ran it for a year or two and I never heard much about it. And then they wound it down as well. And right. I think, you know, we, uh, they were trying to do a true co-ownership model, right? So like, could you and I like sign on paperwork and co-lease a car, like at a dealership kind of a thing? You know, they had some software and insurance and stuff. I mean, that's not the hard part. Okay. Um, and then they realized, of course, that nobody wants to do that. And we realized that by just talking to a bunch of people and saying, hey, would you do this? And people were like, I don't know, I have this concern and that concern. And the other concern were like, okay, after a few months of like talking to people, we're like, yeah, I don't think we're going to raise money around that idea. I don't think it's <laughs> going to go anywhere. And, you know, these car companies were like, well, we'll put a couple million dollars and a few years of resources into that to find out if it works. And it's like, well, you can do that too, but you come to the same conclusion. So. No, in, in, interesting you talked about it because I was wondering, you know, are there other, other com competitors also, uh, you know, like you mentioned, who have raised a lot of money, but uh, are, are there other competitors who are also doing uh, similar things, not only in US, but across the world? No, although I have heard a uh, uh, couple people come my way who have been working at big companies that you would have heard of who've said, hey, I've been kicking around the tires of some kind of fractional leasing model. I want to talk, you know, maybe I want to join you. Maybe I want to do my own thing. Um, so I, I do think that the, uh, you know, it may not be long before we start seeing some things out there. Um, we yeah. certainly have a couple of companies that have tried to do on-demand rental car delivery. Uh, there's one here in San Francisco that just raised a few million dollars. Um, oh. I'm not quite sure what they're doing. That's different from another company that was doing the same thing in LA a few years ago and raised a few million bucks and ran it for couple of years before running it into the ground. Um, not really clear to me what's different this time, but um, you know, we'll, we'll see. Um, Got it. And, um, uh, you know, I want to understand what are the unit economics? Uh, are, you, are you leasing, you know, uh, cars from other companies and, uh, you know, what, what are the sort of profit margins you, you're on while you're trying to scale up the business? Yeah, we, uh, we have our own fleet. And um, I, I think that's a whole, again, probably another <laughs> very extended conversation about why we went that route. But, you know, I mean, I you can kind of look at it near term and long term, right? So long term, uh, if you look at the future of autonomous fleets, uh, you know, I think it's pretty clear. You look at Google, Cruise, uh, pretty much any of these companies, they're owning and operating their own fleets of identical vehicles. They're not, you know, using rental car company cars, you know, they've got a ton of hardware and, and software and, you know, customized vehicles and, you know, it's just a, it's a whole, it's a whole thing, right? You, you can't just go and use like a personally owned car or a rental car fleet car, a dealer car, or wherever else you get a car. Um, so that's, that's kind of looking at the long-term vision. Short-term vision is there's just a lot of complexity with using someone else's assets. Um, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, you've got to line up utilization, right? So do they want the car when you want the car? Typically the answer is yes. Uh, so that's one problem. Uh, what kind of cars are available? How do you integrate the hardware into those cars when it comes to telematics? Uh, typically that's not something you can just do on some car you don't own. Uh, plus a lot of complexity once you have a whole bunch of different types of makes and models in the platform. Um, so there's a whole, a whole bunch of things that really um, uh, have to be addressed. And then just your operations of like, where are the cars stored? What condi condition are they in when you pick them up? How much time do you have to spend cleaning them and getting them ready and servicing them? How do you ensure that they're actually maintained properly? I mean, there's just a hundred different things that literally as soon as you, you know, open the hood, so to speak, you see like, 
just a hundred different things fall out that you go, you know what, like it, it just makes a lot of sense to just go get my own cars and, uh, uh, you know, have exactly the cars I want and be able to control when they're available and, and all the rest of it. So it just leads to a, a much better um, uh, experience uh, and, and more efficiency. Um, okay. Obviously, it's not easy to, you know, scale fleet vehicles, right? And I right. think when you talk about barriers to entry, it's like, uh, it, it's hard to get the financing. It's right. hard to get, right. get cars, you know, you, right. you can't just like go down to a dealer and buy like a hundred cars. Like, right. I mean, you could, I guess, but <laughs> a lot of money. Right. And, and you know, how, how many cars would you have? And uh, are you there in other cities other than San Francisco? We're just in San Francisco right now. Uh, you know, our fleet is, is small, but growing. Uh, and we have a, uh, uh, a lot of credit available at our disposal to scale our fleet. So right now we're, we actually, last year we had a problem of having too much demand and not enough supply. So we had uh, uh, spent almost a year just like getting more uh, vehicle financing to actually and equity right. financing to scale. Uh, right. And so now we have the, the reverse problem, well, it's not really a problem, but the ver- reverse situation, which is we have a lot of supply and now we're turning around saying, okay, now how do we like fill out this uh, with demand? And of course we managed to get both debt and equity financing just before COVID. So that's kind of thrown a little bit of a wrench in our, and now right. there's like race riots in San Francisco. So right. it's, <laughs> it's definitely been a, a challenging time to try and grow a, a business, but you know, we were, we were sold out the last two weekends. So, I mean, oh, nice. uh, you know, it's been, it's been, people are starting to go out again, you know, it was down for a month or two, but it's picking back up again. Nice. And, uh, you know, I, I was, uh, uh, wondering what, what are you doing to increase the demand? Uh, you know, uh, is there, is a lot of uh, money which has to be spent on paid acquisitions or, uh, you know, what are the different ways you're looking at increasing demand only in, in, in the only city that you're operating? Yeah, we're, we're actually actively trying to figure that out right now. Cause we, like I said before, we, we did run some Google and Facebook ads in the past. We've tried doing some field marketing campaigns, um, you know, I don't think we've like nailed our, our funnel yet. Right now we're mm-hmm. focused on um, kind of fixing holes in our funnel, right? So once somebody gets to the website, like do they understand what the service is? Do they understand how to sign up? Do they uh, get hung up somewhere in that process and fall off? And how do you kind of get them all the way through the funnel, right? So we're focusing primarily on sort of the, the middle and bottom of the funnel. Like what happens once somebody gets to the website? How do you get them to be a, a paid member? And then the next thing is going to be, how do we really, you know, open up the top of the funnel, right? Because you don't want to just spend a bunch of money on top of the funnel and have everybody fall out of a leaky bucket. Right. So, uh, so we're focused on kind of the, the, the bottom uh, first and then kind of working our way up to the top and uh, developing that whole growth strategy right now. Uh, and um, I'll say that that has to do with, uh, you know, we're looking at some, uh, you know, changing or, or, uh, Improving, I would say, the copy on the website, uh, improving the UI, UX, on, and flow on the website, which we just completely overhauled a few weeks ago with a new pricing change. Uh, so that should help. And um, uh, making some adjustments to the pricing model. We have a whole bunch of like pricing model uh, tweaks that we want to try out in the next few months. Um, and then uh, uh, on the acquisition side, on the top of the funnel side, I think it's going to be primarily, we haven't rolled it out yet, but I think it's going to be primarily, uh, you know, Facebook ads and, um, uh, um, mailers, like actually mailing, mailing paper, paper right. postcards. Oh, interesting. 
Right. And, uh, you know, you've recently uh, got funding from a crowdfunding platform, which is Republic, you know. So yeah. why did you go through the crowdfunding platform rather than, you know, look at angels investing or uh, from angels or from VCs uh, to uh, to get, uh, you know, more equity funding? Um, well, a few different reasons. So one is, first of all, it's still active. So you can go to republic.co right. backslash upshift and you sure. can invest as little as a hundred bucks, uh, right. even if you're in India. Right. Uh, and that's, that's an equity investment. Right. Uh, so that's, that's active, uh, right now. Um, we went with that platform, uh, primarily there are two of our investors who really had been nudging us to do it for almost a year before we actually did it. And, um, uh, been really happy that we decided to go that route. Um, I think for a few reasons, um, one is it's, it's just kind of, you know, I, I would say it's, you know, something I don't have to spend any time on. I mean, here I am right now trying to, you know, drum up interest in it. Right. So it's, okay. it's not uh, completely uh, touchless, but you know, it is raising funding kind of on its own. Right. I mean, it's just an open portal and anybody can go at any time and invest. And so I'm, I don't have to like pitch an investor to get a hundred dollar investment. It's kind of being pitched virtually for me, which is really nice. Um, and uh, the other thing is that it's, uh, I, I have actually found that having talked to a number of VCs in the space, it seems that sort of everyday people understand what we're doing a little better, I think, than, than VCs. <laughs> and so <laughs> I think it helps us to kind of like build a case to go back to VCs and say, hey, look, like we had, you know, 13, 1400 investors at this point uh, put in, you know, one, two, three, five hundred thousand dollars uh, to see this come to fruition, you know, we're now, we're, as of this morning, I think it was $285,000 from almost oh. 1,400 investors. Um, and that's, you know, and then there's like 300 reviews that are on there. And those reviews are kind of gold, I think, for us, because those reviews are people just saying, here's why I put in 100 bucks. And, uh, you know, now you, now you have a really great case to go back to a VC and say, hey, you thought no one wanted this. You didn't understand, like, why this was a valuable product here's like 300 reasons that people have given us to why they just gave us, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you know, I think that that makes just a very different uh, case because I think a lot of VCs are kind of like, well, I have a three car garage that's full of Teslas. And whenever I drive into the city uh, with my personal driver, I then like ditch the car and jump in an Uber and then take it to Napa. And yeah, it's $500, but like, doesn't everyone do that? And you're like, no, no, they don't. <laughs> That's not everybody else's life. And so like, they really love these ideas like Uber. They love like Lux Valet where they park the car for you. Uh, you, you know, they, they love the kinds of things that solve their own needs. And so I think for a lot of them, they don't have the problem of like looking for street parking and making a car payment every month and like dealing with insurance. Like that's not, they have a garage, they have plenty of money. Like it's not a problem for them. And so, I think part of this is just saying, hey, look, here's thousands of people who do have this problem and here's why they see this as being a really great value prop for them. Right, and, and uh, you know, uh, you've raised close to $300,000 from the crowdfunding platform. So what is the money to be used for? What are, what are your growth plans going ahead? Yeah, right now, um, so we just, uh, you know, make some big changes to the website right now. So we just uh, totally redesigned the conversion screen. So like when you sign up, that whole flow used to be like designed and built by a backend engineer. So it was needless to say, not well designed or, or easy to, to use. So that's all been redesigned uh, in the next week or I think later this week, we should have uh, the member account management screen. So that's basically our web app 
uh, that's all uh, going live this week. Uh, you know, so that's like reserving a card, uh, managing your account, updating your credit card, all that kind of stuff. Um, and then the next big thing that we're going to be working on, uh, oh, I should say we, we have a concierge app and a dispatcher app. Those are also about to get relaunched. We've had them, but we just rebuilt them in React Native, so they're Android compatible. Um, that's coming out in the next few weeks. And then the next big push is going to be a mobile app. So being able to, uh, you know, locate your, so when we drop off the car, we, we, uh, we're integrating telematics into all of our vehicles. That's another big thing. So you'll be able to locate the car, lock and unlock it remotely via the app. Uh, and then, um, uh, you know, when you come back, you can drop the car off anywhere in our service zone, lock the key inside, walk away and, uh, you know, be done with your reservation. And that w when you lock it, you're also disabling the ignition so that even if somebody smashes a window, they're not going to be able to steal a car. And all that's done via telematics that we're integrating. And then putting that into an app so that you can actually uh, do all of that yourself, right? So you can manage your booking, see your car. And the whole experience that we want to design is really like a, a two-car garage in your pocket. So you're choosing between a Prius or a RAV4 hybrid SUV. Right. I don't know if you have those exact makes and models in, in, uh, in India because I know the names are a little different, but uh, that's a really popular car out here. It gets really great gas mileage, both of them. Um, yeah. They all have like the latest adaptive cruise control and uh, right. lane keeping assistance. Um, and so essentially it's like, how do you, how do you make it look and feel like you have these two cars in your own garage, but without actually having to deal with owning the cars and having a garage and, and all the headaches that go along with it. Right. So you just, you open up the app, you have your default car that you prefer generally preset. Uh, your favorite address is preset, which is typically your home address. You click a button, boom, that car shows up within, you know, 30 minutes to an hour, if that's how fast you need it. Uh, you know, and, and all your default preferences are already in there, right? So radio station, driving mode, what phone charging cable you like, whatever it is that, you know, the, the cabin temperature, whether you want a dog car seat cover to come with the car. Like, how do we make it look and feel just like it's the same exact car that you had a week ago, just arriving to your door just the way you like it, whether it is uh, you're in San Francisco or New York or Delhi or whatever market we happen to be operating in, and make that look and feel like these are your cars that are virtualized anywhere you go, they show up exactly the way that you want them to be, even down to the, the spec and the paint job. Uh, cool. We're making everything just complete. And, and people have come and told us, say, wow, you know, it, did I get the same car last week? I'm like, I don't know. I'd have to look at our like booking system and see. But yeah. I mean, it looks and feels exactly the same, right? We've had a lot of people say, it really feels like it's my car. I can build a relationship to it because I honestly can't even tell that it's a different car than the one I had last week because they're all identical. So, you know, it's, it's just how do you build out that experience end to end that looks and feels like it's, it's your car. Uh, and, you know, we actually had, when we first built the member app, our design team put together something that looked and felt more like, you know, hit a button, get a car, like on-demand rental car. And we had them just like completely throw it all away and start from scratch because that's not, that's not what we're building. You know, it was like kind of an Uber-like interface. We're like, no, 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 that's not what this is. So... I think that's that's the that's the next big push, and then it's just you know tripling the size of our uh, uh, membership base, tripling the size of our fleet, uh, developing that growth marketing funnel, so we can say, okay, if you give us a million bucks, here's how much it's going to cost, here's how much how we're going to acquire those customers, and and how we kind of push them through the funnel, right. um, and and then building out the core team, right? So we have a, a a number of people, crazy talented, like these are 
Harvard Business School or X Uber or X Lime or X, uh, I mean, you name it. There's there's so much raw talent out there right now because all these companies just laid off. 20% of their teams and there's so many just incredible people who are just like what's well, my next thing and our problem has been like they all want six-figure salaries right. so they come to us and they say I need 10,000 bucks a month and I'm like oh my god I gotta like double my burn just to add a couple more people to the team right. and so that's that's uh, you know we're really looking to bring on an operations and a marketing person right. uh, to help us to grow the business and then also to manage the day-to-day operations and deliveries and all that um, and then to bring on some more delivery concierge who are also core teammates so probably another you know, three to three to six concierge people as well. Got so it. that's that's basically what the money is for. And then uh, go back uh, later this year and, and raise venture capital. You know, say, look, we just raised you know say a million bucks on Republic, and we've done all the things I just said, and now we want to you know get another couple million dollars to really blow this out in San Francisco and, and scale it up. Interesting. And are you looking to um, uh, looking at other cities like uh, like New York, Boston, Chicago to, to scale oh. up your market? All of those places, yeah, exactly. Yep. Right, interesting. And, and how big is your team? And you know, you've also managed to uh, uh, to score funding from uh, from BMW Group. Uh, so, who are your current investors right now? Uh, uh, and uh, how big is your team? And where are they placed right now? Yeah, we have seven uh, seven teammates. Uh, about half of them are remote, uh, and actually most of them are in India. <laughs> so oh, nice. Three, three people in India, uh, one in Ukraine. Uh, we've got three here in the states, uh, and then we have kind of a uh, outsourced team of designers in Poland that we work with and, and have been working with on all our design needs, so our website and and, uh, and mobile apps and stuff. Um, and um, Oh, who are the investors? So we've raised, uh, if you include the money that we've raised on Republic to date, it's uh, about 1.6 million. Um, That's about half debt, half equity. Uh, So, you know, uh, I'm actually a little more cagey about the the debt side. I think that's kind of the harder side to to figure out like who exactly you get that money from and how you go about it. But um, we have a really great partner on the, on the equity side. That's pretty well known and, and uh, pretty great Um, on, but, uh, on the equity side, uh, yeah, Mini BMW uh, or Mini, which is a BMW subsidiary, put in right. a check. Uh, Urban Us, which is a micro VC focused on sort of government technology, urban technology. Right. Um, Ford put in some non dilutive funding uh, as well. Uh, we got uh, a number of angel investors, uh, probably, you know, most. Prominent, maybe is a co-founder of Nerd Wallet, put in a check. Nice. Um, with the former CEO of uh, Aon Insurance Global Analytics, uh, who does a lot of the insurance for like Uber and Lyft and these companies. Um, they they put in a check uh, from their fund, um, and uh, yeah, and then we've had we had an AngelList syndicate that we ran as well. Um, oh, nice. And that brought in like a couple hundred thousand on on that. I think it was one hundred eighty thousand, something like that. And actually, the the uh, Sudeep Ahuja, who led that round on AngelList, is actually a partner at Republic. So that's another reason why we went with Republic and not somewhere else. He's like, hey, you should do this. Oh, nice. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I, I think Sandeep uh, is, is one of the yeah, one of the biggest AngelList syndicates uh, out yeah. there. So, it's, so that's, that's very credible. Um, yeah, he's, he's done a ton to, to really help us uh, build the business, for sure. He's been very supportive. Right. I think he's been an investor more than 200, 300 startups. I think he's a very, very active investor. Uh, And uh, I think he's recently joined Republic and 
uh, it's would be you know uh, i mean having him on the team is is a great uh, great will be uh, definitely and, and he's also really uh, mission aligned in terms of uh, you know our push to be um, uh, reducing our co2 emissions and uh, having an impact on on that side which is really important for us so yeah all our cars are hybrids right now we'd love to get some electric vehicles on there obviously it adds a lot of cost and complexity to our operations so we've been hesitant to do that but uh, i think that's definitely near term Right. And uh, it's a very interesting you pointed out that uh, you have team members across the world in Ukraine, Poland, and yeah. India. But but do you think after the COVID issue, uh, with with a lot of uh, people getting fired and uh, from 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 companies like Uber and Line, do you think uh, Silicon Valley will not be uh, or you know San Francisco, Silicon Valley, and hotbeds like New York? Uh, uh, you know, people will start moving out of these cities and a lot of talent, uh, you know, you can get it from remote places. I think near term, we might see some, I mean, right now it's honestly like, you know, I'm getting pings every night saying there's a curfew and there's like helicopters flying overhead and police sirens. And, you know, if I just go grocery shopping, I think I'm going to die of a pandemic. Like there's a lot of reason to leave <laughs> the bakery right now. Um, not to mention the fact that it's like, you know, 3000 bucks a month for, you know, starting price for a, a apartment. So, you know, I, th I think probably in the next year or two, we might see some sort of near term fallout where people say, Hey, you know, screw this. I'm going to move to Tahoe or something like that. Um, but, you know, I think long-term um, I, I did my, my master's thesis at MIT on um, remote working and digital work back oh, in nice. 15 years ago. Now this is 2007. Wow. And uh, you know, look at uh, studying like people now have laptops, they have Wi-Fi. like, why do they need classrooms? Why don't they just work from anywhere? Yeah. And, uh, you know, what I found in doing all that research uh, was that uh, with a few exceptions, you know, most people still really rely on face-to-face -face interactions yeah. and um, uh, it's pretty sticky, right? Like, I mean, if you look at, um, uh, I mean, you could, you could look at a few examples, right? So the Black Plague being a notable, right? Uh, you know, 500 years ago, everywhere in Europe just like got completely decimated by the Black Plague. Right. Well, did Paris go away? I don't think so. <laughs> it's still pretty important. <laughs> um, uh, you know, and, and you could look at uh, when the telephone came out. So right. the telephone came out, everybody said, okay, everybody can pick up the phone and call anyone anywhere. Like, that's the death of cities. No one will want to, you know, you can live anywhere. Well, what happened? Well, people are still moving to cities, right? And then the internet came out. People said, ah, now it's really done. You know, no more cities now. Like, Everybody's got to move uh, and live wherever they want. They'll be in rural Vermont, like, you know, doing whatever. Well, my brother lives in rural Vermont, but most people don't. <laughs> um, uh, you know, it, it's just, um, I think the fact of the matter is just that, you know, people are very social creatures. You see even now with um, threat of pandemic, you know, people right. are still going out protesting. Right. You know, right. There's, just, there's a need to be, connected to other people in a, in a personal way and to be around each other. Um, you know, my, my daughter and my wife are going out and they're playing in the park right now with another family. Uh, and they're going to be six feet apart and, you know, outside and keep the risk as low as possible. But you know, you, you can't, you can't like keep people from, from having social interaction. Right. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's, uh, there's a reason we have cities and I don't, I don't think they're going away anytime soon. And I think Silicon Valley has so much to offer that uh, right. it'll be very hard to, to really make a significant dent long term. 
Right. No, it's very interesting you pointed out because, you know, 25 years back when internet started, uh, I actually thought that, you know, I, I come from a smaller town. I actually thought that uh, people would not have to uh, move to bigger cities, but I, I moved to a bigger city. You know, what I figured out is uh, that's where most of the talent is. And, you know, yeah. if you really want to make a career, whether, you know, it is right or wrong, it ha- you have to go to a bigger city like San Francisco or New York. Exactly. Somebody wants to make a career in finance or, or somebody wants to make a career in fashion, they will go to Paris. That's how it is. Look, look at, look at uh, smartphone, uh, laptop penetration and internet penetration over the last 20 years. Yeah. And then look at airline travel and conferences. And, <laughs> you know, I, I think you see a pretty, pretty uh, uh, trend line is basically you and I have this phone chat now because it's so easy to get on a zoom and like talk to anybody anywhere right. and then suddenly one of us is on a plane across the planet to go you know go to a conference together right. because now suddenly like there's some new opportunity to do something together in india or whatever and like suddenly right. we're flying all over the place right and right. and it's now there's stronger connections between delhi and san francisco than there were before right. like people flying back and forth and conferences and events and hotels and you know all of that is you know through the roof right. but Delhi and San Francisco are still very, very important cities. Not, <laughs> that hasn't changed. Absolutely. Uh, and that's, that's for sure. Um, uh, so as I, I quickly want to do the top three. What's your favorite business book? Yeah, I, uh, you know, I think we're very lean uh, at Upshift. You know, we've, we've, uh, it's kind of funny. People always think of this business and say, oh, you have to have a ton of money. Well, you know, we've raised a lot less money than pretty much anyone else. And, you know, yeah. building this business... Um, and, uh, you know, it's a lean startup and that sort of whole approach, you know, build an MVP, test it out, iterate, see how people like it, do it on, you know, as shoestring a uh, budget as possible, get feedback, test, 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 right. um, pivot, adjust, you know, I, mean, I think all of that is very much part of our DNA is, is really talk to our customers, uh, understand the market, figure out how people are using your service and continuously try to keep improving the, the service. Uh, so I think that's that's really been uh, pretty pretty important for us. Right, and uh, you know, if you could go back in time when you started working on Upshare, what is the one thing you would have focused on or done anything differently? Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of learning involved in building a startup, and uh, you know, I think it's kind of easy in some ways to go back and say, oh, you know, we would have just done what we're doing now, but we would have done it five years earlier. Right. Um, but I, I think the the reality is, you know, when we started. We initially were looking at, you know, co-ownership as a model. Uh, then we moved into, you know, just hit a button, get a car. And that transition to like, no, you should subscribe to, I think we always kind of knew subscriptions were going to be there, but we used sort of the paper use as a way to kind of like build that initial membership base and like get some testing with a lower barrier to entry. And then when we eventually did back into subscriptions and, and move away, and we saw that we basically fired all of our customer base and built like a whole new customer base. Uh, changed a lot of the things about our operations where, you know, we don't even meet in person most of the time anymore. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, now we're doing this $750 activation fee. Uh, you know, every time we've made like a significant change to the business model, it's shifted kind of who we attract, how we're perceived by the market. And we're getting kind of closer and closer to a true leasing alternative. But I think it's, it's important to know that that's a, that's a learning process, right? And so if you say, Oh, well, uh, you know, so-and-so company like Kite just launched with a couple million dollars. They're doing hit a button, get a car, like, and using someone else's assets. Don't you want to go do that? Because look at this competition you're facing. And I go, no, I, I don't want to do that. Here's like 10 different reasons I don't want to do that. 
We yeah. tried that. Here's why we didn't like doing that. Here's why it didn't solve the problem we wanted to solve. It didn't really replace cars. It was just car ownership. It was just a rental car experience. And uh, here's why we don't think it's going to succeed, no matter how much money they raise. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's given us, and, and here's why I know that that's actually a completely different customer base. It's not even like a direct competitor, even though it might kind of look like it. Right. Why do I know that? Well, because we had those customers and we fired all of them when we repositioned the company. So I, I'm not, you know, it gives me that sort of perspective to be able to say, okay, well, I, I just have this depth of knowledge that we would never have gotten if we had just kind of uh, started with what we're doing now. Um, probably the one thing I would do differently is just, you know, uh, fail faster, you know, just say, okay, this isn't working. How do we more quickly like pivot to the next thing? Uh, and, and sometimes that's just hard to do if you don't have a bunch of resources and if you're working really lean, sometimes you're just <laughs> like, sure, I'd love to build like re revamp our whole website to have a down payment, but like that's $10,000 I can't <laughs> spend right now. Like, <laughs> so that's just, there's some, some realities there, but you know, I think um, kind of moving, moving fast and testing things, you know, that's and learning along the way. Got it. And uh, do you have any favorite online tools, example, Gmail, Slack, Zoom? Um, you know, we, we live, live and breathe on Google Sheets. I mean, we run a lot of our uh, fleet management on, on that right now. We'd like to automate some of that stuff, um, but a lot of it is still done on Google Sheets. And to be honest, I, I talked to someone who is running operations at Lime, and he was like, yeah, even like hundreds of millions of dollars in the bank, they're still running on Google Sheets. <laughs> you know, they're managing their, their fleet, you know. So uh, I, think it's, I think it's a pretty powerful, simple yet powerful tool, actually. Okay, interesting. And um, uh, you know, what, what are the best way people can reach out to you and know more about Upshift? Uh, sure. Yeah, my my email is Ezra at upshiftcars.com. Uh, you can just reach out directly, and uh, you know, I'd love to talk to you about what we're building. You know, if you're interested in in investing through the Republic campaign, I would I would encourage you to ask any questions there on the uh, Republic campaign page itself, and I'll respond through that. Uh, there are some SEC filing requirements where you know, if, if you and I get on a phone call and I start giving you like insights about the business that aren't public, then suddenly it's insider trading. So um, I would say if you have any questions regarding investment through Republic to do that publicly on the, on the um, discussion of the page there at republic.co backslash upshift, go check it out. Um, uh, and otherwise, if you, if you're interested in, you know, marketing opportunities or, or joining the team or, uh, you know, other, other things related to the business, then, Ezra at upshiftcars.com. And then our, our website, of course, is just upshiftcars.com. Got it. We'll, we'll put that in the, in, in the show notes. Uh, Ezra, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking our time and speaking to us. I really appreciate it. Uh, yeah, likewise. Thanks, thanks for uh, the, the investment and uh, the opportunity to uh, be on your podcast and tell our story. Thanks for listening to the Life Self Mastery Podcast, where we teach you how to start and grow your online business. For more information, visit Rohit's blog at www.lifeselfmastery.com.